0: Welcome to the Unclassified Podcast, where we explore and talk to current and future leaders in music from all backgrounds in a fun, invigorating, and educational way. I'm your host, Courtney Tony, and today we will have the honor of having highly acclaimed and internationally renowned Native American poet, artist, playwright, and author. So sit back and relax and enjoy these musical notes of wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled today to be able to have uh, Joy Harjo, who is an internationally renowned performer and writer of the Creek Nation. She served three terms as the 23rd Poet Laureate of the United States from 2019 through 2022. She is the author of nine books of poetry that have led to honors, including the Ruth Lilly Prize for Lifetime Achievement from the Poetry Foundation and the Academy of American Poets Wallace Stevens Award, among many others. She is also a Chancellor of the Academy of American Poets, Board of Directors Chair of the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation, and is the first artist in residence for Tulsa, Oklahoma's Bob Dylan Center. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the legend herself, Joy Harjo, to the Unclassified podcast. Welcome, Joy.
1: Hello, how are you doing this morning?
0: I'm good. I'm thrilled again to be able to chat with you today. Um, So I, you know, again, I just wanted to kind of just pick your brain and just learn more about the illustrious career that you have had. Um, And so I'd love to just start off with you just telling me more about your journey in poetry and music. Um, And if you want to, you know, tap into if this was always a passion um, that you found from an early age.
1: Yeah, I've always um, been, I I came up with a mother who composed music, sang, would make demos, send them off. And we had country swing musicians at our home. Anyway, I start, my mother, I grew up with a mother in in my early years, she was was writing music and we had the best musicians in Tulsa. And Tulsa has always had excellent musicians here at our house jamming out. My mother loved poetry too. And that's how I came to love poetry. But as far as being a poet, That was sort of like uh, being an astronaut or something, it was, we had no poets in our neighborhood or it was certainly not a career or a way to make a living and I was the kind of person, the kind of kid that I always had to have my own money in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I'm still that way, you know, still. uh, And poetry was not seen as a way way to get there, although that's not really what defined my interest. I was I always I've always loved music, and in school, in, in school, in those days, we had music classes and we had art classes. And those were what I did well in. Mm-hmm. And I always drew. And so I came up not in poetry, but pretty much as an artist. went to Indian boarding school. It was not the kind of school where we were dragged off kicking and screaming as little children but it was a Bureau of Indian Affairs school with a very unusual um, kind of education we majored in. It was sort of like a fame school or an arts. It was an arts, in a way, kind of an arts academy for native students, Mm -hmm. mostly high school, two years postgraduate, and that saved my life. That was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I got in based on my art. Although my advisor, we were all assigned advisors, was, an incredible composer, very well-known, Louis Ballard, who was a Quapaw Cherokee. Yeah, Louis Ballard was my advisor, and he remained my advisor my whole life. He loved it when I got into music, and he was so encouraging. I talked to him a few days before he passed, and he was always... I I, I like to think of him now looking on at what I'm up to and um, you know, those kind of people are important in your life, mentors and advisors. Yeah. And um, so I didn't get back to music. So I kept going with poetry. I remember uh, deciding to um, make that my major when I was at University of New Mexico. And everybody thought I was nuts because I was a single mom. I'd been a teenage mom and I had two children and all the Native students. You know, everybody, we were all involved in Native rights. and. And most of us were first generation Mm -hmm. uh, students, although I had my grandmother and my aunt who were painters, both got their BFAs in art, studio art, back in the early 1900s. Wow. Way back then, yes. So I kind of follow in their footsteps. I was working towards a BFA in studio art and the poetry took over. It was the first time I heard native poets and knew that they were contemporary native poets and it was the first time um i I just I was off and running and I was always inspired I remember thinking okay who are the poets out there where can I find a big body of work of um poets that are similar. And so I study a lot of like West African literature and poetry and that inspired me. So, but I always heard music with it and probably because of my mother. And in 1979, I think it was Ishmael Reed brought a lot of us to New York City for I think it was one of the first multicultural that he was one of the first people to help get that word, you know, bring that concept into the Academy. Uh, a multicultural poetry gathering. And that's why I first heard Jane Cortez, wonderful poet and musician. She'd been married to Ornette Coleman at one time. They had a son, Danarto, and she had a band with her son. I think he was a drummer. He is a drummer. Mm-hmm. She's passed now. But we became good friends. And But she's the one who inspired me most to put my music, uh, put music to poetry. My first little... Album was a cassette of poetry spoken word with jazz musicians in Denver. I wasn't playing mm. yet. Wow. And I brought them one and that's not, you can't find that anymore. I don't even have an original copy of it. It was called furious light. And then, uh, in about early nineties, I got a band together and started learning. I learned to play saxophone on stage. which is not the best place to learn because I was just learning as I was going. And my first album letter from the end of the 20th century was, you know, me learning to play sax and Mm -hmm. figuring it out. And then different albums until uh, I Pray for My Enemies, my
0: most recent one. Did you always um, know that you had a way with words from a very early age? Or was that something that, you know, as you met different mentors throughout your life, they kind of infuse that in into you?
1: I never felt like I was a person with a way with words. I liked, I liked being alone and escaping. Yeah. I like to read. I like listening to music. And and, uh, and I like singing. But uh, yes, I was not I don't think I was really a wordsmith. Maybe I'm not now. I just do the best I can with inspirational help. But I love, you know, what's possible with words, and for me, poetry is about finding, it's about speaking about, uh, speaking what there are no words, what words cannot carry, Mm -hmm. and yet poetry can do that, or songs, you know,
0: songs can do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to ask you, um, you spoke a lot about just your upbringing and going to uh, Native schools and just different mentors, um, including Louis Bar- uh, Ballard, who was a giant uh, that I have learned, you know, just recently in the past year um, in the uh, Native American uh, culture. I mean, I didn't realize how huge he was. Um, yes. And November is known as uh, Native American Heritage Month. Um could you just explain to our listeners of why, um, why it is so important for all of us as just a human race to know more about um, the teachings and the history of Native Americans uh, in this country and, and all over? and, uh, and just the, the purpose that people should really understand of why we celebrate. Um, we celebrate in November, and we should be all year long, honestly.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's common sense. I mean, North, the Western Hemisphere, the whole Western Hemisphere is Indigenous. Mm -hmm. It's Indigenous, the face of the Western Hemisphere, yet we're often not. Yeah. Uh, If you think of Africa, the face of Africa, what is the face of Africa? Who are Africans? Yeah, yes, it's it's multicultural because there are many different tribal nations, so to speak, or communities. I guess Mm -hmm. that's what I mean, it's communities with different cultures. I mean, they're just as different as, say, uh, Muscogee Creek culture with uh, Oneida culture, you know, and a lot Mm -hmm. depends on where you are in the landscape and so on so it makes sense but you know with colonization and the takeover and so on it there there's so much that's been buried out of tremendous guilt yeah and um because to it mars it mars a a beautiful story of democracy and yet democracy is still there i mean, maybe <laughs> you know <laughs> it's it's Concept. you know, it's it's something. I mean, ultimately, we're all charged with being kind to one another, to developing ourselves, to be challenged, and um, it's um, it's an ongoing process. But I th- I feel you know, in this country, native people, native cultures have essentially been disappeared. Yes, because if if we're present, it means. Um, that that it it means that the story that we've all been told since um or it, you know in american education that it's wrong because it usually starts with uh, 1492 and then we wind it, that next it's the pilgrims yes yeah. and people fleeing for um their right to uh to uh, To their religion, to religious free to religious freedom, mm-hmm. and yet it's over over the bodies and massacres and 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 all all sorts of atrocities. But the more you know, it's and our story isn't just about that. You know, often, you know, we just hear hear about the tragedies, but it's an amazing story story of Native people. It's the story of America. Yeah. The project I'm working on right now will, um, is a story of, if you hear, it's. I came to this project because I'm part of our traditional culture and we, we, um, we still have our language, it's hanging on, and our, our music and our dances, when you hear them, or anybody that hears them, usually they think of native music as powwow. Yeah, you know, or yeah, uh, or southwestern native music. But when you hear our music, it's like people are like, "Oh my God, this sounds like the blues." There's jazz. All the elements that you find in blues and jazz, you will find in our Muskogee Creek music, and southeastern. You think, okay, Congo Square. Congo Square was a Homa village, a Muskogean mm-hmm. village, a you know, certain community. Well there there's the there's the story. I mean, uh, Congo Square is seen as kind of I think of it as the naval chord place of uh, American music, blues and jazz. and yet and natives were' part of it. And we've been left out of the story. It's predominantly you know, coming together of African peoples, but also, you know the the European contributions are always touted, but natives are always left out of the story. And I think it's the same way in history, what's called American history, mm-hmm. uh, culture, etc, when we are human beings and we have developed you know highly developed cultures, and for a lot of us, for a while, it's been just trying to get back up to speed because of the uh, atrocities and the destruction and being moved from our homes by gunpoint and mm-hmm all of those kinds of things that we're just getting up to speed (laughs) back up to speed after that
0: well I would love to uh kind of switch gears a little bit um because again just reading about uh your career since last year um this was something that really just popped out at me um, for you being the 23rd poet laureate of the U.S. from 2019 through 2022 and you're the only second poet to be appointed to a third term, um, so I'd love to ask you, what does that significance mean to you to hold that role?
1: Well, I saw it was historic in the sense that no native person's ever been in that position, and I saw my and I saw myself in that role as kind of a um, a uh, someone holding the door open holding the door open so that people all people could um, share poetry mm-hmm. but especially so that people could see that native people are human beings yes. and we write poetry and we love poetry and that it's inherent in our cultures and our love of language and um, my therefore I made my first my project my my poet laureate project was a map a mapping that showed, contemporary Native poets. We only have 47 on the digital map that's still on the Library of Congress site. But if we would had the um, staffing, we would have had hundreds of poets on that site. Actually, I wanted all the poets on that site. (laughs) I wanted a circle, you know, Indigenous poets, like saying, okay, here are the roots, here's American roots. Mm -hmm. And then yet we're connected. We, you know, we came up At least I came up interacting and being influenced by all kinds of poets and then you would make those connections to them and those connections would go out and then you would see a whole web, but to do that would have taken a lot of a lot of staffing that that we didn't have.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, you also uh, recently did a masterclass, I believe it came out uh, about January or February of this year, and you mentioned how poetry can take you into different perceptions, and I'd love to ask you if you can explain that further and how powerful the imagination is with words combined.
1: Well, we're all in imagination, everybody is we're 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 in a world created by our thoughts and our dreams and um, our successes and failures. um every one of us we all have a part in this, and it's ongoing poetry or any art is a way of honing certain skills and bringing something into the world that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the imaginative people can use it for destruction, or they can use it to for, for creating a, an incredible place for, for everyone, or a complete incredible place of inspiration.
0: And um, you know, we are still somewhat, but I think we're out of the thick of it with the pandemic. Um, and you mentioned how poetry can help with grief by being the muscle to help you climb. Um, and I-, I wanted to ask because there was a lot of grief. We lost a lot of people, a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, it was just a very tumultuous time. Was this a main source for you to, to help you during the pandemic? Well, I think people,
1: artists that I know of, whether poetry or music or whatever, some people got to couldn't do much they were just stymied or or silenced by it Mm -hmm. by the immensity of it and the grief and and the question and the questioning i used it i had been traveling way too much and so i got sev. i got a new album done i got an anthology of native poetry done (laughs) I, i i i wrote a memoir poet warrior I use that time to be able to dive into the questions.
0: Was that cathartic for you? Just going to you know help with an uncertain future that we all were dealing with? Yeah, I suppose so. I
1: don't necessarily write towards catharsis, but I write towards the questions. And often the work will come about by a uh, I don't know, it's some, um, it's mysterious at times, but it'll come out, you know, I will feel this urgency or an emotional, like an emotional bump or bubble, mm-hmm. or sometimes like yesterday, I picked up a guitar and started finding a song that just came out of a melody. You know, it's,
0: yeah. it's something larger than me, it's compelling. I think that's the power of the arts too that I think a lot of people don't recognize and that's why it is important for arts to be in schools because it does help you know with the imagination and takes you throughout your adult adult life as well yeah that's true well you are the first artist in residence for Tulsa's Bob Dylan Center which is named after one of the greatest writers in modern day history And um, I'd love to just ask you, what were your thoughts when this honor uh, was bestowed upon you? And what are what are your plans that, you know, you're you're planning to do while you're in this residence? Well, yeah, this is exciting. It's
1: uh, a lot of people wonder, why is the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa? (laughs) It's in Tulsa because. The Woody Guthrie Center is there, and the George Kaiser Foundation bought his papers and bought uh, the song archives of Bob Dylan. And there's a center, it's a beautiful center. I love the storytelling in the center, and he, he was and he is an amazing. He keeps going. He's out yeah. on tour right now, Bob Dylan. He keeps going. But I'm excited because we're working on, and I'm not going to say what it is, but I, I like the opportunity to get to recognize other you know other artists mm-hmm. you know other musical poetic poetic musical artists so i'm working with i have a great boss there uh just steve jenkins and that's right i need to send him a note today and um so we're working on a, an installation excited about that i'm not going to say who yet because it's not all lined up yet but it's exciting
0: yeah is it uh, planning to premiere next year, or at a certain time? That maybe if we have any audience members who may be near there, may be able to come and check well, out. Well,
1: just come and come and see the center. The center is really great. I I you know I've seen a lot of museums, et cetera, and exhibitions, but the storytelling is wonderful in this in yeah. this exhibit.
0: Well, personally, I when I was reading about this, I, I knew about the Bob Dylan Center. But then when I read that you were coming in, um, it really piqued my interest even more to come and visit it. So I'm really excited one day to be able to see it myself. Yeah, you should do that. There's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Uh, Well, I will come into one of our final questions before we get into our rapid fire questions. Um, And I just wanted to discuss with you about um, poetry is so tightly linked to songwriting. Um, Have you found throughout your illustrious career that also being an author has helped you to be more open and free when you write your music, or is it actually vice versa? I think it's pretty much,
1: it's similar. I mean, if I sit down and write a poem, it's different than if I'm writing music and and working with words and music, although some poems become songs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've got a new one. I'm work- well. I've got always oh, got stuff I'm working on, but I've been traveling so much and moving that it's been. I've just had to let all that go for about a month or two, mm-hmm. and just get by, <laughs> which <We're just, laughs> is gets a little unbalanced because I like being in that. I like being in that creative mind, but yeah, there it's a little different. It's a little different, but it's the same voice. You know, my horn voice is my is my speaking voice, is my singing voice, is my poetry writing voice. It's all the same voice.
0: Well, we're going to go uh, into our quick little rapid fire questions that we do with all of our guests. Um, so whatever just pops it in top of your head, just let us know as far as uh, each question that goes. So here we go. Okay. Who is your favorite poet and or artist of all time and why? John Coltrane. Oh, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, John Coltrane. He he moves me beyond it's it's not it's not beyond words. It's like he had he had a connection. He worked his connection to the spiritual realm he worked it and kept moving towards it he was so focused I always say that that's too because he was a man and had a wife to (laughs) take care of things you know I've always kind of wanted to be able to do that to just focus like that and do nothing else but You know, I have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, a huge family, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I've been able to, I've been able to move creatively out here. I think about my mother, what she could have done if she hadn't had to work all those jobs and had to take care of four children.
0: But yes, (laughs) Coltrane. That's amazing. And besides poetry and or music, how do you also unlock your, your inner creativity? of oh, photography,
1: photographing. I fly a lot, so I like to I do have a lot of clouds and different kind of clouds animals. I asked little insects and different animals to pose for portraits and they do. Mm. <laughs> so that's my that's one of my other ventures. I want to start painting again.
0: And our final question is um if you have any projects that you're working on that you could share with our audience that are not so tightly underwrapped, um, we would love to just hear about it so that we can stay tuned and be supportive. Well,
1: I got to, uh, there's a new little cartoon on Netflix, native cartoon called Spirit Rangers. And I'm about mm-hmm. to go in and record a voice for a part for. I helped co write an, uh, an episode.
0: Wow. And
1: I get to be a tree, and, and I wrote the trees part, and I rhymed
0: it. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to that. That sounds great. Is it premiering uh, early 2023 or do you know? It's the next, they got renewed. The first series is
1: out, and they got renewed for a second a second not a second series a second um, season go round yeah
0: season yeah so I don't know when that yeah well we definitely will stay tuned to it um and then I'd love to ask you um how our audience can find you as far as your socials or uh I know for me I've been a a huge follower of your website because you have so many great resources on there. Um, but yeah, if you could just share where our audience members can find you and learn more about you. It's probably, you
1: know, joyhardjo.com And, uh, it's the best place I'm on Facebook. I sell my C. You know, I know CDs are now by the wayside it's digital, but I sell my, uh, magic city books in Tulsa. Sell stuff. I can go, I go in and sign stuff when they need it. Mm. And um, so so I wanted to support a local bookstore. They also have my CDs, too, if anybody's interested in those things, those kinds of things anymore. Yes. I wanted to uh, do vinyl, but at the time I did my last album, they were backed up two or three years because of COVID. Wow. So I brought it out. I
0: brought out CDs and digitally, so. Awesome. Well, um, if there are any final comments that you would like to, to leave our audience with? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just thankful that
1: I, I can move about and, and do my art. I'm so aware how in, you know, so many other countries and places that it's difficult, especially for, for women. Mm-hmm. And for many artists just to be. And I just, I don't want to see this country. You know, turning repressive. Yeah. As um, you know, we all have a lot of work to do, and it. I think the best thing to do is to is to keep towards creation, be nice to each other, and um, you know, and sing. <laughs> Just Absolutely. sing. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you feel better. Went into this house that felt sad. We bought this place for the, our studio and felt sad, and I walked through the house singing and thinking it, and the whole house shifted, the energy in the house shifted. I think it's the same thing, you can think of the earth as our house, and the earth likes to hear us singing, however we sing, it doesn't matter if we're in tune or not.
0: Yeah, let it be joyous. Yeah. <laughs> Joy, we are so, again, incredibly grateful to be able to have you as a guest on the Unclassified podcast. Um, And I cannot, again, thank you enough for your time. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you too. And uh, you take care. Appreciate what you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our latest episode with Joy Harjo. We hope you will check out her website at joyharjo.com, as well as follow her on Facebook, Facebook, and Instagram. Please also make sure you follow us, Unclassified, on our socials and check out our website for updated news at unclassified.com.